Let's stand for the reading of God's Word if you're able to do that. Mark 16 and verse 15. The Bible says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Let's read that, can we? Here we go. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, if you have one of those bookmarks, you'll notice that we're going through the commands of Christ. This is uh, one of the um, sermons under the series called My Calling. Jesus' commands can be divided up a number of ways. He commands us to go into all the world. The title of the message tonight is this, Go into all the world. Go into all the world. Let's pray. Lord, tonight, as I stand up here and preach this sermon with a heart that's heavy for the lost all around the globe, I pray, Lord, that you would stir our hearts for those who are in great need, those who've never even heard the name of Jesus. Lord, uh, stir up someone's nest who's maybe a little too comfortable, too easy in Zion. Lord, help us to see the great need and do our part to make sure that we are responsible for going into all the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord God, take over tonight. Use my tongue as your mouthpiece and Lord, preach through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. What's the name of our series we've been covering on Sunday morning? We're looking at my, speak to me, my what? My, you guys aren't really listening, are you? My character, my character. Looking at my character on Sunday morning. All the sermons thus far on Sunday morning have have, uh, focused on my character. And um, Jesus spent three and a half years addressing the character flaws of his disciples. How many of you like me? You can say, I've got some character flaws Jesus is working with me on. All right? We're all there, aren't we? And what, but listen, uh, what, what is the point? of being a great Christian. Let's say that you take all of the sermons that have been preached this year on Sunday morning and you go down the list and let's say you master all of those, right? You learn how to give and you learn how to be merciful. You learn how to judge not and uh, you learn how to not be a hypocrite and uh, you step up in every single thing that Jesus preached about character. You get it all down. You get it all mastered. Okay, then what? What is the point of being a great Christian? Is it so that you can be some kind of bright, shiny trophy that sits on a shelf somewhere for others to notice how great of a Christian you are? Oh, look, it's brother such and such. He's a super Christian. She's a super Christian. I mean, no character flaws. You spend decades and you work on these things. And you want to. You ought to. I'm preaching with great passion on Sunday mornings on these character issues because these are issues that Christians struggle with and uh, we uh, we don't don't always do well at and we need to improve and we need to get better. But what is the point of having great character if you don't do anything with it? Now, having character is great. Obeying the commands about our character are important, but they are the means of... To the greater end. So what is the end? Well, to depopulate hell and populate heaven. Let me say that again. The the end is that we depopulate hell and we populate heaven. Let me explain real quick how the sanctification process works. Okay, The day you got saved, God put the Holy Ghost inside of your heart. And you know what His purpose is? His purpose is to take you and lead you into righteousness and holiness and to be made into the image of Jesus Christ. And you know what? From the day you get saved until the day you die, uh, you ought to grow a little bit at a time. I have described it as taking two steps forward and what? One step back. And then two steps forward and one step back. And you know what? If you were to start walking toward California, taking two steps forward and one step back, it would take you a long time to get there. But if you spent long enough doing it, guess what? You'd make it to the Pacific Ocean. 
And it ought to be that you get 10, 15 years, 20 years, even a year or two in the Christian life, and you look back over your shoulder and you can see some failures, you can see some victories, but by and large, your character has grown because you're being sanctified. But can I tell you that you will not understand full sanctification until you leave this earth and you die, and you get to heaven. When you plot one day, and you step into the gates of heaven, the sanctification process will finally be complete. The day you die, guess what? You'll be done battling against sinful pride. How many can't wait to be done battling against the flesh and sinful pride? Oh, I cannot wait. I get so put out with myself over my sinful struggles and where I don't quite get it right. Now, the end game of the Christian life is not to be holy. It's not. The end game of the Christian life is not to be holy. And I believe we're making a great mistake in the churches across this country because some churches don't talk about holiness at all and other churches act as though that is the end game. Being holy is not the end game. Not on earth it's not. When we get to heaven, being holy will be the end game because we'll be in the presence of Jesus. But on earth, being holy is not the end. We are to be holy so that our message of salvation to a hell-bound world will be even more credible and more believable. What good are you telling someone about heaven if you're living like the devil? No one's going to listen to you. Right? So you get yourself all cleaned up and you're following the Bible and you're doing right, but you're not willing to tell anyone about Jesus, then you're nothing more than just a shiny trophy that sits on the shelf somewhere. You understand what I'm saying this evening? We get ourselves right so that we're not an obstacle. We're not a distraction. And when we open our mouth and we tell people about Jesus and we hand out a gospel tract and we invite our co-worker to church and we invite our neighbor to church and we invite the repairman in our home to church, they can look at our home and they can look at our life and say, you know what, I want what he has. I want what she has. I think I'll go to church with him. I think I'll hear about their Jesus. Let me illustrate this way. Let's say that after high school I had gone to college and I had devoted um, a decade of my life to being a, an A-plus student in med school. And I graduated with a doctorate degree in medical research. And then at, upon my graduation, I spent 20 years of my life in cancer research. Let's just say, for the sake of illustration, that uh, every morning I woke up at 4 a.m. I did away with any sort of a social life. I worked well into the evening. Um, I devoted my entire being for the purpose of cancer research. Let's say that I had had a parent who had died of cancer and I was determined that I was going to be the one to find the cure. A decade of med school, hanging on every word the teacher said, making a straight straight A's all the way through med school. 20 years of my life I've devoted to cancer research. I've worked hard. I've read broadly. I've observed. I've tested. I've outthought everyone around me. And then I find the cure to cancer. And then I do nothing with it. What does it matter? Who cares? I found the cure to cancer and I'm just going to sit on it. You see, you give your whole life to learning how to be holy. Some of you have been saved in here for 20 or 30 years. And you've really worked hard at this thing about living your life in a way that pleases God. You have the gospel message and you don't want to... Get it out to the world. We are to be holy so that we can be a vessel fitly used in the Master's hands for the purpose of telling the world that Jesus is the cure for sin and its eternal consequences. Let me ask you this this evening, are you busy telling others about Jesus? Are you busy telling others about Jesus? Do you tell others about Jesus? Uh, do you have gospel tracts in your pocket right now? Do you have gospel tracts in your purse right now? Uh, do you carry with you the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Are you looking to give someone an invitation that tells them how to get to heaven? Uh, or is that just something Christian nerds do? You see, that's something that we're all commanded to do. Does your heart break when you hear about people on the other side of the globe 
that have never heard the name Jesus. You see, you understand that of all of the commands of Christ, this one is found five times. And to my knowledge, it's the only one that's found five times. Let's see him. Turn over to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 19. You know the verse. You go to White Oak Baptist Church, and you know this verse. All right? We preach this verse all the time here uh, because um, it's important. It's important because um, we believe that you should get with it, and you, we should be busy with the Great Commission. Look at Matthew 28. Look at verse number 19. All right, Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Mark 16, where we just started. Turn back over there. Look at verse 15. All right? And he said unto them, Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel. To every creature. Turn over to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. Hold your place in Mark. We'll be back there. Luke 24 in verse 45. While you're turning to Luke 24, Jesus is on what we know is the road to Emmaus. He has cloaked himself. The two men he's with do not know who he is. And he acts as though uh, he's surprised at, or rather he acts uh, semi-oblivious to the events of the city. And uh, they begin to tell him. And he begins to open his mouth and tell them about uh, about the Christ who had to die. Look at verse 45. Then open he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, Luke 24, 46 now, uh, and, thus it, uh, and thus, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and arise from the dead the third day, and, uh, and the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name, look here, among all nations... Beginning at Jerusalem, and ye, that word ye, uh, don't let the old English throw you off. That's important. That word ye means all of you. It's a broad term describing everyone who reads this word. And ye are witnesses of these things. Look at John chapter number 20. I'll just read this one for you. John 20 verse 21. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you as my Father hath sent me. Even so, send I you. I'm sending you forth. In Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power, Jesus said. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, if, um, if Jesus gave us one command one time, that should be enough. Well, when He gives us the same command in Scripture five times, I think we maybe should sit up and pay attention a little bit. Next Sunday, as Pastor Andrew has already discussed in our announcement time, and has been well broadcasted, um, we'll kick off our annual missions conference. As we consider the commands of Christ, let us consider the great command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I want to pause right here. And I want to say something very important. Most of you listening to this tonight have sat in church and had heard sermons like this one before. Many of you, many times. I don't want this to be just another sermon on the Great Commission. I want to really challenge you tonight. And I want you right now to ask God to challenge your heart. If God spoke to you tonight and said, I don't care if you're, if you're 8 years old or 80 years old, listen, this applies to everyone. I knew of missionaries, who, a married couple in their 80s, who sold everything and went to the mission field. I, I, I personally know them. Alright? It does not matter who you are or where you are in life. I want to ask you a question tonight. If God, during this sermon or next week's missions conference were to reach down in your heart and say, I want you to be one of the ones that goes to the other side of the globe. Are you surrendered enough to do it? Are you willing to go? That's a question all of us need to ask tonight. And that's a question all of us need to ask ourselves regularly.
Let's jump into the outline. Number one, number one, back to Mark 16, notice what we do. What we do. All right? We are to, according to Mark 16, 15, we are to, letter A, we are to go. Go. Look at verse 15, again, of Mark 16. Jesus is getting ready to ascend up to heaven. He's died. He's risen from the dead. He's standing there uh, on the mount, getting ready to ascend up to heaven. And He said unto them, that next word is go. He says to go. The word go is an action verb. It requires movement. It requires intentionality. Go is the opposite of stop. And it is in opposition of the thought of an object or person who is at rest. Let me tell you what go means tonight. To go means that on Saturday morning you get out of bed or you get off your couch or you get up from the kitchen table and you get yourself dressed and uh, you walk out the front door and you get in your car and you drive to the church and you get a pocket full of gospel tracts. Um, I said... I asked if you if you had any. There we go. I happen to have some in my pocket. Praise the Lord. You get a pocket full of gospel tracts and you get a soul winning partner and you go out in the community and you put in the work. You go and you go and you go and you go. Go does not mean to let someone else do it. Go does not mean it's not my spiritual gift. Go does not mean it's someone else's responsibility. Go does not mean I put offering in the plate so that the pastor can preach so I don't have to. No. Uh, Jesus said to all of His disciples, Disciples, go, go, go. We're to get up and we are to go. Let me tell you what go means on a whole other level. To go for some may mean that you put your house up for sale. And you leave behind your established career. You leave behind your church family. And your loved ones. And your parents. And your, if they're adults, your children. You may, may, may mean that you get into an airplane. To go may mean that you travel to another part of the globe and you take on the challenge of learning another part of the world and their culture, maybe even a new language, for the purpose of obeying the command of Jesus to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We are to, what we do, we are to go, letter B, notice we are to preach, we are to preach the Gospel. Look at Mark 16, verse 15. And He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the Gospel. Preach the Gospel. Large companies have something called brand ambassadors. A brand ambassador. Now, there are different versions of brand ambassadors. I'm going to give you the most extreme version. Okay, A brand ambassador goes over to another country where that brand has no presence. And they see a large potential market that they have not been able to penetrate. And that brand ambassador moves into that country and he embraces the culture. He is engulfed in the culture. He gets to understand the culture for the purpose of bringing that brand into that market and making for that company millions, if not billions of dollars. And there are people who do this. They are paid lots of money to go and move into another country and become part of that country for the purpose of turning that market into a, a, a very profitable uh, venture for the company. In fact, some companies will send brand ambassadors for generations before they ever actually penetrate and figure out how to do it. Now... They proclaim the message of their company for what? For the purpose of earthly riches. We have been commanded to be Christ's ambassadors. That means that some of us need to move to other worlds, other countries, not other worlds, other countries. And we need to take on their culture and their language, and their food, and their customs for the purpose of teaching them, preaching to them, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the good news? Good news, or rather, what is the gospel? It is the good news of Jesus Christ. Is there a greater story 
than that of Jesus Christ. He came to earth, left heaven's throne, came to earth, you know it, born of a virgin, the perfect God, wrapped in flesh, robed in flesh, lived here for 30 years, began an earthly ministry. He ministered to people. He was homeless. He loved on others. Uh, he had no material possessions of, of, of importance. Uh, uh, he gave away everything he had. And at the end, they even took away his life. And he willingly laid it down and he shed his blood so that our sins could be washed away. And then three days later, he stood up from the grave. And in his death, He died in our place in His resurrection. He offers eternal life to each and every one. And this is the message that we've been told to give. Because if someone will, by simple faith, place uh, that faith into the great sacrifice of God, their eternal destination is altered from hell to heaven. I think of a country like Bangladesh, where according to all of the statistics I've read... There is not one single known Christian in the entire country of Bangladesh. Not one. If there is one, there is not enough to make up even a percent, even a portion of a percentage. Those people are born, they live, they die, they go to hell. And every single one of them, Jesus came and died on the cross for their sins. Someone needs to go to Bangladesh and put their life at risk to be a brand ambassador for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not for earthly riches, but for eternal riches. And not for you, but for them. We have the greatest message. It is not a cure for a physical disease that takes away someone's life. We have a cure for a spiritual disease that takes away someone's eternity and binds them in hell. The Bible says here that we are to preach the gospel. What does it mean to preach? I played a dirty trick on the crowd that came to uh, uh, Great Commission Saturday yesterday with the devotion. I'm going to play the same trick on you. If you were here yesterday, you won't fall for the trap. If you weren't, you very well might, okay? Here's my question, all right? Can women be preachers? How many of you here say, no, women cannot be preachers? Raise your hand. I got one hand. All right. Anybody else? Women cannot be preachers. How many, there were more hands yesterday. How many say women absolutely can be preachers? All right, can't be pastors, but definitely can be preachers. Uh, some of you just don't raise your hand no matter what I say, so that you know, you, that way you don't you don't you don't fail, right? Pre- to preach means to proclaim. To proclaim. All of us can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. All of us should proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. There are two reasons that immediately come to mind as why many do not do what they are supposed to do. Here's what I've got written down. Many do not preach the gospel because they are controlled by fear. They're controlled by fear. Yesterday I stood at a gas pump pumping gasoline into my truck. On the other side of the pump, there was a lady standing there. She's putting gas in her vehicle. You ever notice how awkward that seems to be when you have someone on the other side of the pump and you know they're looking at their phone or they're kind of looking around and you know they, they don't want to really make eye contact with you and um, and I, I'm standing there and the Spirit of God is saying to me, you need to give her a track. You need to give her a track. You know what my flesh said? I don't want to. The Spirit of God kept saying, you need to give her a track. You, you need to invite her to church. And so I reached into my pocket and I said, hey ma'am, I'm the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church right around the corner. Could I give you an invitation to my church? On the back are some verses that will tell you about how you know you're going to heaven someday. Her face lit up. She said, thank you so much for inviting me. I've been looking for a church. I very well may stop by. Do you do that? I'm not going to say I do it every time because I do not. Do you ever do that? 
Many people will not pass out that invitation because they're afraid of rejection. He's not here tonight. I was really hoping he would be. I remember six and a half years ago when I came here to be pastor, Mike Chupik. Mike came to me and said, uh, I could never do that. I preached a sermon similar to this one. He said, I could never do that. He said, um, I'd probably get arrested if I tried to do something like that. And I've been working with Mike. You know, Mike, um, he goes to Cracker Barrel every week. And uh, Mike gives me a report each Sunday morning of how many tracks that he passes out at Cracker Barrel every week. He said, Pastor, I'm up to 12 tracks. I got 12 tracks passed out at Cracker Barrel this week, and I only had one person tell me no. And usually he throws this in there, and I didn't get arrested. I was challenged by our missionary to Pakistan who stood up here knowing he was going back into the jaws of the lion where he was putting his own life and his family's life on the line. That man has every right to be afraid of death but he's not. You and I can just be afraid of just social rejection. What if I say the wrong thing? Are you really concerned about leading them down the wrong path or are you concerned about looking foolish in front of somebody? The second reason I wrote down is not only are we controlled by fear, but we're too lazy to obey. I'm just getting right down where it is. I'm telling you, I have been uh, in church... For 39 and a half, if you count the, the, the time I was in my mother's room, I've been in church for 40 years, all right? Um, my whole life, I've heard preachers preach sermons like this, and there are some Christians, and there are some of you in this room that are this way, you have dug your heels in, and you will never, ever, ever tell anyone about Jesus. You're just not going to do it. I could preach a sermon like this every week for the rest of your life. I could come in your home and sit down and do a Bible study, and I could show you from the Bible. And you know what? You just ain't going to do it. You've dug in your heels, and you're just being stubborn. I will not pass out tracts. I will not tell people about Jesus. I will not do it. And I'm just going to tell you what I think it comes down to for a lot of people. They are lazy. They're too lazy to obey God's command. Hey, I want to be careful to tell you here, this is not my command for you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. This is your Savior's command. He is the one who says, take the good news of Jesus Christ and tells the world. I love when someone asks me, would God really send someone to hell who's never heard the name of Jesus? And and listen, there's a lot of answers to that question. Can I tell you one of them is that Jesus stood with his disciples on the mount and he said, I'm going to heaven. I've done my part to save the world. You go out and you tell the whole world about salvation. So if said person on the other side of the world never hears the name of Jesus, is it Jesus' fault they didn't hear it, or maybe it's our fault that they didn't hear it? See, the blame does not lay at Jesus' feet for someone on the other side of the globe who's steeped in Islam, who never hears about Jesus. It lands on us because we're not doing our part. Because many Christians are too lazy to obey. Both of these reasons are rooted in the flesh being in charge in your life. And I want to remind you, we sang it tonight, and I had no idea this was on the docket. We sang it tonight, Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You know what that means? Everywhere I go, I eat, drink, breathe, live Christ. He comes flowing out of my veins. I want everyone to know that I'm madly in love with Jesus Christ and I'm going to tell anyone and everyone who will listen because I have been saved not to sit and sour. I have not been saved so that I can be a shiny trophy of high character for Christ. I have been saved for the purpose of telling anyone and everyone who will listen that Jesus Christ is my Savior. And He wants to be your Savior too. What we do. Number two, where we go. Where we go. Everyone is commanded to go somewhere. 
Let me say that again. Everyone is commanded to go somewhere. Everyone is commanded to go somewhere. Some people are directed to take the gospel across the street, while others are directed to take the gospel across the globe. Letter A, notice where we go. Notice letter A, Mark 16, 15. We are to go into all the world. Into all the world. Look at verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world. Some very basic um, uh, uh, research shows us that there are 195 countries on seven continents on our globe. And um, uh, many of those countries, uh, rather many of the Earth's population lives between the 10 degree and 40 degree um, uh, latitude window. And if we could put that picture up there, here is where the large majority of the world's population resides. In fact, according to worldometer.com, Info, there are 8 billion people walking planet Earth. And according to JoshuaProject.net, 5.27 billion of those people live right here in that window on your screen. In those countries highlighted in blue. And three, it is estimated that 3.25 billion of these people have no real knowledge of who Jesus even is. That makes up 62% of the folks living in this part of the world. And while Christians have done a very poor job of sending our preachers of righteousness and salvation into these areas, Satan has done a great job of getting his preachers of false religion into these areas. Let me show you yet another picture of this same window and what religions reside here. Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, or Atheism. Those religions are leading billions, with a B, billions of people straight into the lake of fire. Jesus commanded His disciples to go into all the world. Listen up. Each generation has a responsibility to make sure that this command is obeyed. Can I just make a very obvious observation as we look at that picture? The last several generations of Christians have not been obeying this command of Christ. We are losing in the 1040 window. We are strongly losing. This is not the failure of one generation. This is the failure of multiple generations. Go ye into all the world. Jesus commanded His disciples. Each generation has a responsibility to make sure this command is obeyed. Boy, we have dropped the ball. And we just aren't getting the job done. Where where we go, letter A, into all the world. Letter B, to every creature. To every creature. Look back at Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Of the 8 billion people walking planet earth, there are approximately 17,000 different people groups. Uh, For evangelization purposes, a people group is defined as the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planting movement without encountering any barriers of understanding or acceptance. So a people group uh, share, uh, they're homogenous enough to share the same language and enough of the same culture that the gospel can spread across that people group effectively and not hit any barriers. Once you hit a barrier, that begins a new people group. And according to the estimations I found, there are approximately 17,000 different people groups globally. We have been commanded to take the gospel to every creature. The gospel is capable of penetrating each of these languages, each of these people groups, but we need people who are willing to go where others are not willing to do so. Let's take a moment. Let's talk about the obstacles, the obstacles. 
What are some of the obstacles that keep us from going to every creature? I wrote down a handful of them here. Notice first um, the obstacle of languages. According to multiple sources, um, multiple sources, there are in excess of 7,000 different languages globally. 7,000 different languages globally. Many of those languages have no translation of the Bible. I think sometimes that our, our thinking is very narrow and shallow. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that, all right? You may think, well, to be a missionary, I have to be able to preach. You know, I have to, um, I have, to have a Bible college diploma. You know, I've, I've got to have all of these things set up in just such a way. Listen, to be a missionary, God can use anyone, anywhere, anytime. Some of you in here, God has given you a great brain when it comes to languages. You love languages. You're good at languages. You can pick up languages easy. What, and, and by the way, this one goes to men and women alike. What if God were to call you to the mission field for the purpose of translating the Bible into a language where millions of people could read the truth for the first time? Did you know you never have to preach a sermon? You're just taking on the work of translating the Bible so that a people group could have God's Word. Can you imagine reading John 3.16 for the first time? Because someone put in years of work to learn the language and the culture and know exactly how to translate that. Some of you here are older and you think, well, you know, my, my best years are behind me. What can I do? How about instead of retiring to Florida or South Carolina, you retire to Africa or you retire to South America or you retire to Asia or you retire to some ministry in Europe where you went alongside a pastor who was having a hard time and you went soul winning on his behalf and you helped visit on his behalf and you held his hands up for the Lord on his behalf and you helped him keep going just a little bit longer. You see, we're shallow, so shallow in our thinking and we think, I could never learn another language, but there are many, many places you can go and you can take the gospel for Jesus Christ. Here's an obstacle. Languages is an obstacle. How about this obstacle? Culture. Culture. Listen, there are many conveniences and comfort that our um, American culture provides. My, um, my uh, wife's brother-in-law is in the service tonight. And bless his soul, he's, he's very just arrived, just got here. He's Venezuelan. And he's learning English, all right? And so he doesn't speak much English. And, uh, but praise the Lord, he's here tonight. He has a desire to learn it. And uh, he got here, and I took him for a ride around Stratford. Brand new to the U.S., first time here. Took him for a ride around Stratford. And you know what we did? We went through the drive through at Wendy's, and we got a hamburger. And you know what he said to me? We don't have these. He was living in Peru before he came here. We don't have drive throughs in Peru. This doesn't exist. He said, years ago we had these in Venezuela before socialism and communism took over. He said, but I haven't seen one of these since I was a little child. Do you understand how many modern conveniences our culture offers us that most of the world, they don't even know exist? And we take for granted. I told him, I said, man, if they take more than three minutes to get me my hamburger, people like, people like me, not me because I'm sitting with you now and I'm explaining this to you, but people get frustrated and irritated over that, you know? And here we are, man, you, you don't, we're so lazy, we don't even have to get out of the car to eat our thousand calories. They just pull through the drive-thru and they hand it right out the window. And because we act like kings and queens... We don't want to go to another culture where we'd be inconvenienced. Can you imagine living in a country where they don't have Walmart or Target? Like, what? You know, all of those people have a soul that God values just as much as yours. All of those people need someone to leave the land of plenitude and go and take the gospel. Here's another one. That's a barrier, an obstacle. Distance from family.
my sister. My sister and her husband live in Fiji. My sister's had two miscarriages over the last couple of years. One just a few months ago. My sister's battling some personal sicknesses right now that are pretty intense. Fiji doesn't have the best medical system. I can't just hop on an airplane whenever I want and fly across the international date line and see her. We have Thanksgiving and Christmas either at my house or my parents' house up in Bristol. My brother James, who's a missionary to Honduras, and my sister Frances are never there. But my sister gladly serves God on the other side of the globe because she knows those people in Fiji need the gospel just as much as the people in Stratford, Connecticut. Some of us love our family more than we love our Savior. And we're not willing to leave behind father and mother and brother and sister. Jesus said if you're not willing to do that, then you're not willing, you're not worthy of me. You're not worthy to follow me. How about health concerns? Listen, our medical system's a mess. It's got its share of problems, but it sure beats what a lot of the rest of the world has to offer. It just does. There are a lot of unknowns and a lot of obstacles that keep us from going to every creature. Let's take a break from talking about obstacles, and let's talk about the word obedience. John 20, verse 21, Then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. I had put together, I didn't, it didn't make it into my notes. Uh, a good chunk of what I assemble each week gets left out. Just, I don't, I, I way over prepare. And even what I bring in the pulpit's usually still too over prepared. But without going down the list, I had put together a, a, a believed history of what had happened to Jesus' 12 disciples. And how they went into barbaric parts of the world. And were clubbed and crucified and drugged behind horses and quartered and murdered, brutally murdered. One of them was stoned and had their brains bashed out of their head. You know what they were though? Jesus, after three and a half years of investing in them, He looked them in the eye and He said, Go ye into all the world. And you know what they did? You got it. And like good soldiers, they went across the globe and they preached the gospel. Back over here we have Brother brother Jacob Abraham and, and his family. I was talking to him sometime back last fall, I believe, and where either he or his wife is from, there is a belief that Thomas died in a cave in the city of where one of them is from, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They obeyed. They overcame every obstacle, and they were obedient. I've heard this my whole life, and I have just found it to be true. There is no safer place than the center of God's will. I guess really, where we go comes down to one word. It's the word control. Who's in control of your life? 
Are you in control of your life? Or is the Lord in control of your life? You see, because if God were to say, go and move to fill in the blank, and you were to say, no, I can't do that, then God's not in control, you're in control. And when we don't give God control, it's because deep down we don't trust God. Number one, what we do. Number two, where we go. Number three, how we go. How we go. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. This next word is vital to what I'm getting at tonight. Both. Both. Both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. Both. That word both implies or rather states plurality. We are supposed to go to all of these places at the same time. Now, how is it possible for us to go to our Jerusalem, that would be Stratford, and our Judea, that would be uh, uh, Connecticut, and our Samaria, that would be our New Haven or Bridgeport? And how are we then supposed to go to the uttermost part of the earth and do it all at the same time? Well, uh, uh, corporately, Christians as a whole are supposed to spread out, and, and we're both to be at home and abroad all at the same time. This verse implies that there's a team effort to get the job done. Now, while James, the brother of Christ, was leading the church in Jerusalem, Philip was leading the effort in Samaria, and while Philip was leading the effort in Samaria, Barnabas was leading the effort in Antioch, and eventually all of those churches were pastored at the same time, and then Paul and Barnabas would go out into the uttermost part of the earth and preach the gospel to the Gentile world. And so you had Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost, corporately, all of the Christians spreading out and the gospel being preached to both, to all. The plurality of the gospel being preached all across the globe. But notice individually, how is it that we go to multiple places with the gospel? We don't have a clone machine. So how do we get the gospel to the uttermost part of the earth? Let me give you an A, B, and a C and talk about how we go both home and abroad. Letter A, we go financially. We go financially. Take your Bibles over to Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians chapter number 4. I am thankful for all the believers who surrender their lives and go live on the other side of the planet. I grew up in an era of the independent Baptist movement where we put preachers on platforms or pedestals and called them heroes. I don't call preachers heroes. I know, I happen to know because I am a preacher, that all preachers are flawed because all preachers are sinners. The second you start putting a preacher up on a pedestal and then he commits some great sin, great is his fall and then great is the fall of many others who called him a hero. I don't put preachers on a pedestal. I don't call them heroes. But I will tell you this. If there is something that comes close to a hero in my heart and in my mind in our Christian world, it are people who were born and raised in this country or countries like this one and go to another country and leave it all behind. That's special. I think that needs to be applauded. I think it needs to be put on a higher plane than even a young man who goes and serves his military. I applaud that. You know what? They devote their life to give the gospel in countries that I will likely never ever visit. Look at Philippians 4, look at verse 14. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Paul says, now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, the region, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only, only the church of Philippi supported Paul financially, for even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account." Paul said, because you have given to my need, fruit abounds on your account. 
Paul took the gospel to the uttermost uh, uh, for the Christians at Philippi. And as a result, the Christians at Philippi who put money in the plate to send to Paul, uh, they got fruit for Paul's efforts. And so each time that offering plate comes by and you put money in that plate marked for missions and you give to one of our 50 plus missionaries that take the gospel to dozens of countries, you give toward these missionaries and fruit abounds on your account. Listen, you need to open up that wallet and you need to give because uh, I believe it was Pastor Andrew that said something to this nature recently. If you, listen, there's a lot of investment plans and that money uh, will all end in some sort of temporary measure. But when you invest in missions, you are making an eternal investment. An eternal investment. Each dollar that you give that leads to someone getting saved, listen, when you're a billion years removed in eternity, they will still matter. Oh, how that matters. Letter A, we go financially. How we go, letter B, we go spiritually. We go spiritually. The old phrase accurately says, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. How can you spiritually go to all the world by investing in these missionaries in your prayer closet. I spoke with um, my mom's sister-in-law, be my Aunt Michelle, on the phone for quite a while this week. When Francis delivered the stillborn baby, Aunt Michelle accompanied my mother in flying over to Fiji to encourage Francis. Shortly after my Aunt Michelle arrived, she um, got her leg caught on something and gashed her leg open and was bleeding everywhere and had to go quickly to a doctor. And so Frances loaded my, her Aunt Michelle or Aunt Michelle into a car and, and off they drove and they went to a clinic where a doctor in the church worked, but he was away. And so they had to drive to the public free Fiji hospital and Frances pulled up and she began to cry. My aunt said, what's going on, Frances? And she said, this is where I gave birth to baby Miriam. I have not been here since that happened. And they walked in the waiting room and they waited for six or seven hours and were not seen and eventually left and my aunt got help, got stitches somewhere else. I'm sharing with you these details because Frances is my sister. And I know because I FaceTime her and she opens up and shares with me. Did you know that all of the missionaries that we support have similar stories to Frances? They have similar struggles to Josh and Frances. Did you know that missionaries have health problems just like you and I have health problems? Did you know that missionaries have marriage problems and they can't run to their pastor because husband is the pastor and there's no one else in the country even close to being able to help them? They are excluded oftentimes on the other side of the globe trying to fix a marriage problem around people who speak a language that they are still learning in a culture that they don't really get and know. And there they are on the other side of the globe having a marriage problem. Did you know that that missionaries have parenting problems? They have children who grow up and rebel and go their own way. And now... They can't take them to the youth pastor. They can't take them to the senior pastor. They can't take them to some conference to help them get their heart right. They're stuck in the middle of Bulgaria. Did you know that missionaries, that they get discouraged? Did you know that missionaries even are capable of backsliding and being carnal Christians? Listen to Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 2. Paul encourages the church at Colossae. He says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open up 
uh, open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. Paul says, pray for me, I'm suffering that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. He says, pray God gives me wisdom in knowing how to use this suffering that I am enduring to proclaim the gospel light in a world, in a, a culture of great darkness. All these missionaries, they need an army of people who will get hold of their phone numbers and their emails and get hold of their prayer needs and pray for them and get on the phone and text them and uh, call them and then maybe even get on an airplane and go to the other side of the globe and visit them because they're lonely and they're tired and they're discouraged and they're human and they're flesh and we're commanded to go into all the world and there they are going in our place and they need us to hold up their arms and spiritually be present with them. How do we go? We go with our money. We go with our prayers. We go financially. We go spiritually. Letter C. Notice, we go personally. We go personally. Mark 16, 15, we'll look at in just a moment. But I want to ask you a question tonight. What if God were to prick your heart? Brother Daniel, you can make your way to the piano. What if God were to prick your heart this evening and tell you to give up everything you have and go to the mission field? What if God were to tell you tonight, put a for sale sign in the front yard and sell your home and uh, go on deputation and collect the support and head on over to a mission field of which I'll show you? You willing to do it? Are you willing to obey the command of Christ to leave it all behind and to go? David Livingston, the famous missionary to the continent of Africa, once stood on an elevated plain and he said, I see the campfire of thousands of villages that have yet to hear the name of Jesus. David Livingston was found dead in a praying position in a hut. They wanted to take his body back to England and bury him. But before they could take him back, the Africans removed his heart and buried it there. They said, you can put his body in Westminster Abbey. His heart belongs in Africa because his heart is in Africa. David Livingston was devoted to taking the gospel to new frontiers and making sure everyone that cared would listen to his message. And David Livingston articulated very well his heart and love for world missions and this obedience to God's command through a poem that was later turned into a song. And I'm going to sing that song for you at this time. Let these words touch your heart. Since thou hast died to give thyself for me, no sacrifice could be too great for me to make for thee. Lord, send me anywhere, only go. tie that binds me to thy heart Lord Jesus my King I consecrate my life Lord to thee I only have one life and that will soon be passed I want my life to count for Christ what's done for Him will last Lord send me anywhere only go with me lay any burden on me only sustain Save the 
tie that binds me to thy heart. Lord Jesus, my King, I consecrate my life, Lord, to Thee. I only have one quality, my Lord, and glory in Thy cross. I gladly leave the world behind and count all gain as loss. Sing it out with me now. Lord, send me anywhere. Only go with me. Lay any burden on me. Only sustain me. Sever any tie. Save the tie that binds me to thy heart. Lord Jesus, my King. I consecrate my life, Lord, to Thee. Powerful words. Words that can make you uncomfortable if you actually look at them and mean them from your heart. But can I press even further? into a realm that's even more uncomfortable. Moms and dads, what if God called your child to the mission field? What if God called your child to go live in an area of the world that was not easy for you to access and visit? Have you surrendered your children to God and are you willing to let them go? I just want to remind all of the moms and dads listening tonight, those children do not belong to you. They belong to God. And you better not get between God and a servant He is calling to the other side of the globe. The truest of American patriots are not only the ones who go and fight for their country on a battlefield on the front lines, but rather the parents of the ones who do so. These moms and dads let go of their sons and their daughters so that they can put their lives on the line to defend the liberties that we hold so dear as a country. Heaven's greatest patriots count it a true honor to send their children to proclaim the light of salvation to a dark and lost and dying world. Years ago, a 17-year-old boy walked the aisle after a sermon much like this one. He came streaming down the aisle during the invitation, tears dripping off his cheeks, He went running down the aisle. He met one of the assistant pastors at the end of the aisle and he took him by the hand and he told the the assistant pastor, he said, I know that God is calling me to the mission field. He's been working on my heart for years. I'm ready to go. I'm willing to go. Right behind him came his dad right down the aisle. And he sat right down next to the assistant pastor and his son. And he refused to let the assistant pastor fill out the decision card. He refused to let it be announced publicly in church. He said, no, my son will not be a pastor. I have plans for him to go out and make money and do great things. I will not let you go. Shame on that dad who would not let God have his son's heart. May God give us parents who teach their children that the highest calling of God is not to make millions of dollars and be comfortable. The highest calling of God is not uh, to live in ease in Zion in a country where everyone has ready access to the gospel anytime they want it. No, the greatest calling in the world, the greatest calling that God could put on your child's life is to take the gospel to some unknown corner of the globe and proclaim the gospel for the world to hear that Jesus saves.
May we raise up children out of this church who in groves leave our church and go to the other side of the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God commanded His disciples in Mark 16, 15. And He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this evening. The reality is you're not going to go across the globe if you're not even willing to go across the street or hand a pump track across the gas pump. Boy, for some of us this evening, that's a great place to start. Just determine you're going to pick up some gospel tracks on the way out the door this evening and you're going to work hard to get those distributed. Some of you here tonight, God may be pricking at your heart and saying, you're the one. I'm calling you. Others of you here tonight may not just be sure. Listen, we don't need to make large decisions on an emotional surge. Well, we need to bask those things in prayer and we need to make sure that it's of God and not just of emotion. There may be one here tonight, God has been working on your heart about this for a very long time. You've been holding out with God. Why don't you just make a decision tonight that you're going to go. Whether it's with your finances, whether it's with your prayers, whether it's with your actual autonomy and your whole person, you're going to go. Boy, we need to do our part. How many here tonight would say, Pastor Lejeune, I see the need. Help me to do my part to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Here's my hand. Pray for me. I see the need. I understand the need. Pray for me. Is there one here tonight that says, Pastor Lejeune, God may be working on my heart about me going myself. I'm not saying that he is. I'm not saying that he's not. But I feel a tug. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I'd like to pray for you.